We're here now. It's all by God's spirit. God's just showing me, you know, the application of my own passage here today. Um, yes, I uh, hope you guys had a good weekend. Um, I was talking with Andrew, and it turns out he has a sinus infection, so he was not able to be here to enjoy our move to two services. And so his weekend hasn't been that great, um, <clears throat> but I was able to tell him the Nunezes have had a great weekend. And so he was able to rejoice in that. It's kind of a small thing. But for us, it's a big thing because we got a dog this weekend. So first time the Nunez have ever had a uh, dog, and so that's a new adventure for us. But the reason we got the dog was because because we, we were able to sell the RV. And so another big uh, praise for us, some of you may remember, I was lamenting that we had painted the RV and no one wanted to buy it painted. And turns out there was a couple, God had provided a wonderful family. So we sold that. And you know, I was talking to Ben, my, son, my seven-year-old, you guys saw Sam and Tessa, and Ben, my seven-year-old, and he was like, Dad, you know, it wasn't the owners or the kennel people who gave us the dog. It was God who gave us the dog. And I was like, man, you know when Jesus said that we need to have faith like a child? I think he was picturing, I think he was saying seven-year-olds. Like, the statements that seven-year-olds make about God are just golden. And I think he's right, and, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to go through life and say, you know, whatever we experience, God is the one doing it. Whatever good thing comes our way, it is of God. And whatever hard things come our way, we can know there is a God that is working. And that's kind of what today's passage is about. Um, it is about trusting that God's spirit is always working in and through his people. It is up to him. It is his spirit. You may remember that we are talking with, um, this, this sermon is about, uh, sorry, this uh, scripture, Zechariah, the book of Zechariah is about post-exilic Israel. They have come back from Babylon and they are tasked with rebuilding Jerusalem and God's temple to reestablish themselves as God's covenant people. So they have a huge task to accomplish, right? And there are two main leaders of this task, Joshua the high priest, who is kind of in charge of the religion religious element, the ceremonial element of their covenant with God. And then Zerubbabel, who is the governor. So he's the ruler of the, the people. And so last week, we learned about, there was a vision to Joshua, which was addressing Israel's sin problem. And so last week, we learned that we, uh, God is a forgiving God. God is one who removes the stain and the, the ugliness of our sin so that we can be with him. And so the, the, um, the task of the church is to release our shame to God. To not live in guilt and shame, but that we can release it to him because he died on the cross for us. And that's what we did last week. But this week, the message is to Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel has a task to accomplish. He has to rally God's people. They have to build this temple. And so this, this is, um, brings in to our minds and to, into our hearts another vital element of our relationship with God. That we not only need to release our shame to God, but we need to be able to lay claim to a destiny. We need to be able to lay claim to a purpose that God wants us to live out. A purpose of living out his will, accomplishing his will, of living for good works. 
And, and so I think this is actually a part of our faith where we as God's people can stumble. We can struggle. And I certainly, I would argue this has been a stubborn issue for me because, you know, we can believe that God forgives us, but we also have to believe that God wants to use us powerfully. And that he has designed you uniquely and has brought us together as a church uniquely to accomplish his purposes. And that we need to pursue that. We need to go after that. And I think it's at that point that many of us can shrink back. We can struggle with fear or insecurity. Questions like, who am I? I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to contribute. I'm no good. That's my battle. I noticed that's been a stubborn issue for me since coming to Christ. I've been able to embrace God's forgiveness, and yet sometimes I struggle to believe that God wants to use me. Or maybe you don't struggle with insecurity. Maybe you're really self-assured and have a lot of confidence, but inevitably you're going to have to face some things in life that are too heavy for you on your own. And it's easy to become overwhelmed. I recently uh, uh, finally saw Encanto. My children have seen it 15 times. I finally saw it for the first time, Encanto. And there's a scene, you know, it's a, it's a story about uh, this family that gets a, a, a charm. I, I think Encanto means enchantment. It doesn't mean miracle. Am I right on that? Uh, how do you say miracle in Spanish? Milagro. Okay. So, Encanto is not me. I got that wrong. So, there's a charm and they get these, the family members get special gifts and one of the women, Luisa, gets the, uh, the charm of super strength. She is super strong. And she has one song in the, in, in the show, in the movie. And her song is about, I'm so strong, but I feel like I have to do everything. I'm overwhelmed. I can't keep going. And so whether we struggle with insecurity or whether we struggle with um, uh, feeling like there's too much on our shoulders, um, God wants us to experience life trusting in the empowering presence of his spirit. He wants us to know it's up to him, not up to us. And we need to know how to live in light of that as God's people. So what I want to do is I want to really examine the key passage, Zechariah 4.6. And I love the song that Miguel sang today. It's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. But there's a lead up to that. There's a lead up to that amazing statement. One of my favorite in the Bible. And, um, and, it's, and we see a vision um, of a lamp. Now, I want to I make sure we're clear on the purpose of a vision. Why does God use visions? And I think here's the definition that I think can help us. That a vision is making vivid and encouraging spiritual reality that eclipses a discouraging worldly circumstance. So things look a certain way to our eyes, but God is saying, I want you to believe a deeper reality of what I am doing. And God's people have to always be able to live according to the spiritual reality, even though the physical circumstances appear different and often discouraging. And so this is the vision that God gives. It's a, it's a vision of a menorah. That's what we see. 
we see that God, that Zechariah sees a lamp stand. That's Hebrew is the word for menorah, right? So it's a, it's a lamp with seven lights on it. But this one is different. This one is made of gold. And um, there's this bowl on top of it. And on that bowl, there are seven lamps. And on it are seven lips. I think spouts is a better word. And so um, there's been some interesting reconstructions of what this really looked like. So I want you to... Um, Go and throw that up there. So uh, this uh, image on the left is actually an item that was um, uh, found, was dug up. And you can see there's a lampstand. And notice there's um, seven kind of floral arrangements on the, the top of the bowl. Um, and so, and then on the right, this one scholar looked at Zechariah, this passage, and said that he believes that if you see there's... Um, there's this main lampstand, but then on every lamp, there's seven lights with the spouts that go into the bowl. And so what um, scholars typically believe is that this is a lampstand of seven lamps with seven lights. A seven times seven. Um, and so I believe that the idea behind the, the, the lampstand, and there are many different ways to interpret it, but I think one we can um, interpret it with confidence is that this lampstand represents God's people. It represents Israel, um, but because of this unique menorah, I think this is a, um, a prophetic vision of the church. There is this seven times seven uh, proliferation of the lights, which I think is a symbol of the church, which would be supported by the, the book of Revelation, where Jesus takes the lampstands and they each represent a church. And so, let me just take a sip of this. I think there's some left in it. And so the idea behind the lampstand is that it's, it's, God is impressing on his people that they have been set apart for a holy purpose. And that purpose is to be a light to the world. They are to show the glory of God to the world. They are to be a witness to who God is by the way they live their life. And God is impressing on his people um, that this uh, this work is completely up to his power, and so. But what happens with this with this um, when when Zechariah sees this vision, he struggles to understand it, right? And he says, "What are these things, my lord?" And the angel, kind of a little condescending moment, says, "Don't you know?" And Zechariah is like, that's why I'm asking. I don't know. So he says humbly, I don't know, my Lord. And I think the point is to emphasize the main message of this text. Because immediately after uh, clarifying very clearly that Zechariah doesn't understand it, that's when the angel says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. You can't even understand God's word without my help, without me working. Yes, you are my chosen people. This is what the message is. You are set apart. You are this lamp. Um, but you will not accomplish that purpose by human ability. You will accomplish it by my spirit. 
Now I just want to observe that this line, this beautiful passage, has doesn't really have a subject. It's just not by might, not by power. He doesn't say, you will build the temple not by might, not by power. That's the application of the principle, but the principle is broad. What that means is God's people need to embrace this as a principle for all areas of life. Anything in which you are trying to live for God's glory, trying to accomplish his will in your life, this is the motto that you must live by, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. So whether it's in the home, whether it's in your job, whether it's in a church ministry, whatever you are trying to do in a way that you want to live out your calling as a Christian, this has to be the way you view it. And the question arises is, why is this good news? Why is this the way, um, we, do we, why would we want it to be this way? And I think the answer is because this is the way we were designed. Human beings were designed to live out their lives with ambition, with goals. We want to work, we want to accomplish things, and yet we want to do it completely depending on God. That is how we flourish as human beings. Um, And so the opposite must be true, that if we fail to depend on God's spirit and what we try to do, then our lives will become full and increase in anxiety. We will increase in fear. We will experience a lot of timidity. We will become passive or we will become overwhelmed, overburdened, and we um, we will have a chip on our shoulder towards people. And so that's what begins to happen. Maybe we'll, we'll, be, we'll need the approval of others. In other words, self-dependence is a heavy burden in this life. And it's one in which we were not meant to live. You know, I mentioned that I have struggled with this area of life. You know, if we, if we break this down between the two visions, the Joshua vision, which was about being able to release shame. The Zerubbabel vision is about being able to embrace God's empowering presence. That's really been my struggle. And it came to a head in my life about nine to ten years ago. And I, um, so I was about 28, and I was asked to lead the crew ministry at San Jose State, right? So I had been on staff for four years. I'd been considered senior staff. I remember I was a little bit restless, like, God, what do you want me to do? And I was asked to lead the ministry at San Jose State. I felt very honored. My wife was asked to lead it with me. We were going to go to San Jose State. I'm from San Jose. Like, I just felt like God's destiny all over this. There was one little problem, though. The ministry there was student-led. And they had been student-led for 15 years. And the narrative that they had told themselves was that the staff, the crew staff, which I was on staff, had abandoned them in the 90s. And so they had become this rogue ministry to where they know, they call themselves Campus Crusade for Christ. That was the name, that used to be our name. But they didn't do anything with crew. They didn't do anything. They did literally just their own thing. In fact, they were antagonistic and did not trust staff. Um, So what happened was they were given an ultimatum 
ultimatum. They were said, you need to take staff or you need to call yourself a different ministry. And so they were like, uh, okay, fine, we'll take staff. And that was supposed to be me. So that was the situation me and my wife were walking into. And I, you guys, I was so optimistic. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Um, and, uh, and, and so what ended up happening was uh, they did not like me that much. And they did not respond very well to my leadership. And the ministry struggled and struggled. And so three years into it, things were really, really hard. And my life and my heart began to become filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with self-doubt. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I, am, I'm, I guess I'm not the leader that I thought I was. I'm not, you know, it was all about me. And so I remember one Sunday, <clears throat> we were at church. And um, this church used to be part of Vineyard. So Vineyard kind of used to be a more charismatic church. They used to practice the, the gifts, right? And so um, they were no longer Vineyard, but they still had this time, like 10 or 15 minutes, where they would practice the gifts. And what would usually happen is they would say, hey, does anyone have a word of encouragement? Does anyone have like a scripture or a word of knowledge? And actually, one time, someone spoke in tongues, and there was an interpretation. We missed it. So we were kind of bummed. But, but we're sitting there, and they open it up. And, you know, like normal, usually people have a scripture. People say some things. And Jamie, my wife, turns to me, and she says, Paul, a verse came into my head. I was like, okay. She said, Zechariah 4.6. And we were like, we had no idea what that meant. I mean, if we weren't studying this passage, would you know Zechariah 4.6? I barely knew Zechariah was in the Bible at that point. And so we didn't even look at it. <clears throat> um, well, later on, we were in line to In-N-Out. And, you know, because it's In-N-Out, you have to wait a while. And so we're in line, and I say, what's that verse, Jamie? What's that? What's Zechariah 4.6? So we pull it out. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I remember feeling like God was speaking to me so personally that he took this passage from an obscure minor prophet, gave it into my wife's brain, and right when I needed to hear it, said, Paul, I want you to know it is not up to you. It has nothing to do with your power or ability. It's what I'm doing. And I remember just because of what that message was, the way it came to me, I was like, God is speaking to me. And he's saying, he is saying that it's up to him. And I remember this, this peace washed over me. Like, have you ever been so tense, you didn't even realize you were? And all of a sudden you just relaxed? Like, that's what happened. Like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my back just relaxed. I was so, I mean, I was in line to in and out I was about to get good food. But I was just the, the pressure. I was putting on myself. God released me from it. Now, it wasn't like I was just all serene after that. Um, ministry was still hard. But I remember what happened, what that passage was really, it was about was I had to repent. A sweet repentance 
to say it's not up to me. And I remember one night just praying. I, it was, I, was in, I was in the agony of leadership, right? I was in the throes of needing to prove myself. And that passage just helped me get on my knees and say, Lord, I give this up to you. I let it go. Whatever happens, I am not going to make my worth based on that. You are working. It's all up to you. And so I think that um, that is the message of this passage. That it is giving us a vision of human flourishing. God calls us to do things in this life. To live out his purposes. To receive his forgiveness. And then to go and make an impact. And he wants us to have a life of, of purpose and ambition. But he wants us to know deep in our hearts, it's all from God. It's by God that we are doing these things. It's him doing it, not me. But it's God doing it through me. Through us and in us. So that's the deeper reality. That's the deeper reality that needs to eclipse the physical circumstances of whatever we're dealing with. That it is by it is not by our ability or our power, it's by human it is by God's power. So what I want to do is I just want to take time to say how do what does it look like for us to live that out in our life? There is a women's conference called the If Gathering. Anyone have heard of that? If Gathering? It's an amazing conference. It's for women. And it has an interesting title. It's the name of the conference is If. The name of this group is the, the If Gathering. And it's like, what's If? And what their whole premise is, their whole premise is to say that um, what if we lived as if this were actually true? What if we really lived this out? And so what if, what would it look like if we really lived out and really believed in our hearts? It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit. I'm just going to say three things and then we're going to close with it. I want to I have some time of, of open mic time. I'm going to let some of you, if God puts it on your heart to speak a word of encouragement or a scripture that you think this church needs to hear or someone needs to hear or some kind of exhortation, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to have a chance to do that as a church. But before we get there, I just want to share these three things of how I think this, we, how we live this out. The first thing is this. If we really believe it's by God's spirit, not by our power, God's people will have confidence to get going. And here's the New Testament language about that. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of timidity, a spirit of sitting back in the wings, letting other people go for it. And we just say, well, I'll just let them do it. Not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy. He's saying, for this reason, meaning for this reason is because I see sincere faith in you. 
because I see sincere faith, do you know what I want from you, Timothy? I want you to go for it. Fan this flame, fan this gift into flame. What are you doing just sitting on a gold mine? Put it to work because you will make an impact. If God's spirit is in you, then you have a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You will accomplish things. Now that doesn't mean everything is going to work out great. It's not just because he, he kind of says, be ready to suffer. Right? In fact, the more you lean into accomplishing God's will, the more you're going to suffer. But that is where God is calling us to say, but you will have an impact. You will accomplish my purposes. God tells Zerubbabel, your hands have built the foundation and you will complete it. So that that means that when we set out to accomplish God's will, his will be, his will will be accomplished through us. We can have that confidence. And so here's a word for some of you. Maybe some of you, someone here needs to hear this. There is something that God has put on your heart. There is something that is capturing your imagination. A conviction to live out. Or maybe a relationship that God has put on your heart. A person that he is calling you to impact. Then here is God's word to you. Get going. No more excuses. No more calling out the lion in the streets. It's amazing to me, sometimes God's people, we can come up with all the reasons why we don't want to do something instead of claiming the one reason why we can do anything. It's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we can have confidence to get going. The second thing is this, God's people should have joy in the journey. We should have joy in the work. One thing that we see in this passage is two times God calls his people to rejoice in the work that is being done. God says that when Zerubbabel finishes this thing, there's going to be with shouts of grace to it. Grace to it. That's, this is God saying, this is, I love this. Grace means my favor is on this. And then, um, and the other passage, and this is actually our theme passage for the whole series. It's a little bit of a mistranslation in the ESV. The, 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 I think the, the better translation is, who dares despise the day of small things? When God looks at the work that Zerubbabel is doing and says, this is marvelous in my eyes. Who dares despise the day of small things? Why are you poo-pooing this work of the temple? You should be rejoicing in this work because I rejoice in it. And so that's the power of our joy in the work is to hear God's view of it. He loves it when God's people are pursuing his will. He rejoices in it. But we get sidetracked when we focus too much on the outcomes of it. We focus too much on the results. Because, you know, if I were to say, who are the people that are going to struggle to despise the day of, of small things? Who are the people who are going to be the pessimistic voices in the work of what God has called us to do? And you know what I think the answer is? I think it's ourselves. 
I think we can tend to be our own worst critic. Um, uh, uh, there was a comedian who said it best. It's just the only the way comedians can do. He said, you know, I, he's like, I love wearing, I love listening to music. I wear headphones all the time. Not because I want to listen to music, because I don't want to, but because I don't want to listen to myself. It's that inner critic that gets to us. And I think that the problem is that for us to have joy in the journey, we have to be willing to say our joy has nothing to do with the results or the outcomes of our effort. That is all up to God. We have to let that go. We have to be able to rejoice in the day of small things. And the way that scripture says that, what scripture says we rejoice in, is it comes from uh, Matthew uh, 25, 20 says, 21. Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you see what Jesus calls us to? He's saying that when we, he's referring to what I'll call an identity transfer. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you see that he has died for your sins, then what your joy comes from is now relational. It's all about his joy is our joy now. The way he views the world is the way we view the world. And he's saying, you leave the outcomes to me. Alright? The lampstand, I think, is instructive as a vision of the church. What is the job of the candle? It has one job. It just has to burn. Just burn. God's saying, I will take care of how hot it gets and how many people see the light and all that stuff. You just burn. And God says, I, he rejoices in our faithfulness and we need to rejoice with him. So that's the voice that has to replace our inner critic. It has to be the focus of our joy, not the outcomes. Now I'm not saying we can't get excited about the outcomes. What I mean is we cannot have our fulfillment, our satisfaction, or our sense of meaning come with how things go. You know, when, back when I was with crew, I remember on Thursday nights was our weekly meetings. I would be happy or sad. My whole day hinged on how many students showed up to that meeting. That's what I'm talking about. My joy wasn't in the happiness of Jesus Christ who had called me and said, would you just be faithful? And that is what I find joyful. I, I am rejoicing in that and you are despising the day of small things. And so whatever that looks like for you, the question that God, what God is asking is, are we being faithful with what he has called us to. And that's where our joy is. Not in the results. And the last thing. If it is true. If it is true. That it is by God's spirit. Not our human ability. Then we must stay connected to the spirit. Zerubbabel. If we remember. Those lamps were connected to this bowl of oil. 
And the only way the menorah would burn is if it had the oil. And so I think this passage is demonstrating visually that we have to be connected to that source of oil. And, and we learn that that oil comes from these two trees, which are the two anointed ones. Most scholars believe that's Joshua and Zerubbabel. But I think it's referring to their office, the office of priest and the office of king. Zerubbabel the ruler, Joshua the high priest. And so what we learn in chapter 6 is that those offices are united in Christ. And so what he's saying is we need to stay connected to the branch. We need, Jesus is going to slightly alter that. And we, we sang it, we, we uh, read it this morning. We need to abide in him. He is the true vine. We need to stay connected to him. We need to stay connected to his priestly work. That we need to remember his love and acceptance by his blood. That's what last week was all about. And, and we also need to stay connected to his kingly office. That we are living to do his will. He is our king. We are trusting in his provision. We are obeying his commandments. So we need to stay connected to Jesus through the Spirit. And how do we do that? Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing, making melody to the Lord with their heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do we stay connected to the Spirit? It's by being connected to His body, the church. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to each other. Sing to each other. Address one another with spiritual truths. Submit to one another. Get going on the work of accomplishing his will in partnership and beautiful harmony together. If we want to live according to God's spirit, not our own strength, we're going to be connected to the body, which is the church. And so... Um, this is how we're going to share the word with one another. We're going to minister Christ's peacemaking blood to one another. And we're going to exhort one another to live out his rule, his loving rule in our lives. So I want to take five to ten minutes. This is that time we were prepping you for. Um, Nicole and Annie are going to be our runners. And what I want you to do is that if God gives you a word of encouragement that you want to say to the church, or maybe you think someone needs to hear it in this, in this church, don't use, I wouldn't use a personal name. Just trust that God will send that message to the right person, or our church needs to hear it. If you have an encouragement, or a scripture, or a word of exhortation, which is kind of like a challenge... Don't like rebuke us. I mean, I guess you could if you wanted to. I don't want to put too much limits on this. But an exhortation, a scripture, or a word of encouragement. I'd love to see the spirit work right now. Yeah, we, we hear from the sermon, but we can hear from one another. 
And so we're going to practice that for 10 minutes here as a church where we get to hear this collectively. Again, God never would have, I mean, I don't want to say never, but God used that time in that, that church to give my wife, Zechariah 4, 6, totally random. Not a part of the sermon, and I needed to hear it right where I was at. I'd love to see God do that for the next 10 minutes. So, we're just going to sit here and, and go ahead and raise your hand. We'll take a runner, and then um, Violet will close us with communion. This too shall pass. Everything is going to be all right. Testing. Ah, yes, there we go. So, a friend of mine was sharing a rose and a thorn, and the thorn was uh, fairly applicable to me as well. Um, if not now, then in different parts of my life. It is a uh, thorn is that I am feeling the weight of being behind with work and other club-related things, and I always feel like I need to catch up, working on being at peace with my pace of work, and I feel like uh, Zechariah 4.6. Whoo, that hit that. So, encouragements to you who shall remain nameless, and myself as well. John 17, verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and I love them even as you loved me. this, but I was brought a vision of the body, um, which, which requires blood, which brings oxygen, and just like the, the members of our body, um, I want to encourage, encourage you to connect to the blood and to feel oxygenated and to feel encouraged today. thinking of the verse of in Isaiah 26 verse 3 and 4 you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you and then it goes on trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock 
I was thinking of the verses in Matthew, Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I was just thinking of the contrast between um, a light on a hill, something that would be like a really far reach perhaps, or just a light in your house. And um, I think God is asking us, like he's going to decide whether our reach is like really far or if our reach is sort of smaller like our family. But in both of those, he just asks us to be faithful. to read uh, Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Psalm 46:10. But he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let's maybe do one more. Hebrews 11 speaks of faith, walking by faith and following God, and it speaks of many different people, um, I won't read all of them, Abel and Abraham and Sarah and many others who followed by faith, but one verse strikes me, maybe applies right now, is in verse 13, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles of this earth. Lord, um, we just want to um, close this in, in prayer. Lord, remembering that you speak to us in our circumstances, through your word, through one another. Uh, and Lord, you are saying to us today to release to you the pressure and the fear of the outcomes of what we're going through and to trust that you are working by your spirit. It is up to you. You have taken that burden on and you call us to release it to you. So help us to do that so that we can have confidence in what you're calling us to do, that we would fan it into flame. The gift you have given us to make an impact and that we would do so with joy. 
that our satisfaction, our sense of meaning, and our deepest joy would be, Lord, that you look at us and are glad that it is marvelous in your eyes. Help us to live that out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.